0: Stand and praise that God together as we sing, All My Days. Father we thank you that as we come here this evening we praise you that you fed us from your word this morning. We thank you for that vision of heavenly worship and we pray that this evening as we gather we would count ourselves blessed to be in the spirit and participate in that spiritual heavenly worship we would pray that you would make it our overall concern to look for things which are spiritual, eternal and satisfying we would pray that you would help us as we hear your word to draw from that what we need to do in our own lives to make us more like yourself or to cooperate with you as you make us more like yourself. we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and renew us this evening as your word is explained to us. Give us open hearts and open ears so that change will be effected in us this evening. Help us we pray and be with us. Amen. On a Sunday evening, we are reading through the book of Numbers, and we have reached Numbers chapter 20, uh, verse 14, and David Miller is going to come and read that to us this evening.
1: If you've, uh, Church Bible, it's on uh, page 158, uh, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, saying, This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come upon us. Our forefathers went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians ill treated us and our fathers, but when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry, and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, You may not pass through here. If you try... "'We will march out and attack you with the sword.' "'The Israelites replied, "'We will go along the main road, "'and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, "'we will pay for it. "'We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else.' "'Again they answered, "'You may not pass through.' "'Then Edom came out against them "'with a large and powerful army.' Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. The whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. At Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Call Aaron and his son Eliezer and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community, Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain, and the whole community learned that Aaron had died. The entire house of Israel mourned for him thirty days. This is the word of the Lord.
0: few notices to bring to your attention for this week. Um, Shoebox Appeal, um, we are taking part in the, the Blysewood Shoebox Appeal. You have two Sundays to get the boxes back to us, so they have to be here on the 27th of October uh, in order to um, take part in that this year. Um, at the back of the church on a low table there are some letters for um, members of the congregation who have given by gift aid. If you didn't get it this morning, um, please pick it up this evening. It's basically a thank you from um, headquarters in Edinburgh just um, for, for supporting the work here. Um, Aspire help. Um, the Monday Club in Charleston has about, I think they average averaging between 25 and 30 children on a, a Monday evening. And I think at the moment they only have two people to help um, marshal that and it's an age group from 4 to to 11 so they've got quite different needs um, and they'd love to have extra volunteers so that they could split these up into more age-appropriate groups and carry out more age-appropriate activities. It's on a Monday evening between 7 and 8 so it's just one hour. You don't have to be up front to do anything. If you can chop up fruit for a snack that is brilliant. If you can assist with craft like you know put some glue and some paper and th- throw some glitter on it. Um, th- anything, a- any sort of help would be really, really appreciated. Um, so if you're able to do that, see Chris Hewitt, um, whose contact details are on the slide there. Also, a week tomorrow, uh, Chris and Sarah get married. Um, we're needing some help, and Maria's are or- organising the refreshments for people um, but need some some folk to help serve. So if you're able to do that, um, get in touch with Maria. And also Tim Brow is organising the set-up of the church um, and the tidy-up afterwards. And again, needs some bodies to help um, do that. So if you can help with that in any way, get in touch with either Maria or Tim. We're going to sing again. Um, We're going to sing Psalm 86. We're singing verses 1 to 7 plus verse 11. Uh, We're going to sing this unaccompanied. We'll be led by Alistair, the tunes Buckland. And as we stand to sing this, we'll uplift our collection. So Psalm 86.
2: Hear, O Lord, and answer me. I, I save me, my God, for your servant trusts in you. Lord, be merciful to me, My soul you O oh Lord, our Lord, are good you are ready to forgive to all those who call on you you are bound instead past love. Heal my earnest prayer, O Lord. Listen to my troubled cry. In distress I'll call on you. For in mercy you reply. Teach me, Lord, your way, that I from your truth may not depart, so that I may hear.
0: One of the great privileges of being part of um, the worldwide church is we can pray for it, um, and Ruth Farker is going to come and lead us in our missions prayer now, Ruth.
3: One of the amazing things that's happened in, in my lifetime is that we prayed for years and years and years for the USSR and for the church there. And um, when the USSR kind of broke up, we discovered they'd been praying for us too. And that was such a wonderful privilege to have those wonderful Christians praying for us, wasn't it? Um, one of these countries, of course, it is Russia, and we're praying for Russia tonight. So, so let's pray with gladness, really, for, for all that's going on there and for all the things that happened here as a result of their prayers let's pray Lord we do thank you for the faithfulness of those believers who've been through such a time of suffering and stood fast for you in the face of real persecution and opposition Lord it brings honour to your name and we thank you for that But, Lord, we would pray for many who still carry the scars of that time. Uh, And we pray that you would comfort them, that you would help them in their loss. Uh, And, Lord, that you would encourage them as they see change all around uh, and as they cope with a very different situation these days. Uh, And, Lord, we would pray for them as they face restrictions still, and don't really have the same freedom that we have to to share your word as and when they would want to. We pray that you'd give them wisdom and help them in that. Lord, we know that there were very few opportunities in the past for training for church leaders. Uh, And Lord, just now, there's a real need for, for, for some of them to be able to be trained more fully in handling your word. Lord, we know that the role of missionaries who've gone in is very, very restricted, that there's not very much that they can do. They're quite limited. So we do pray for people to rise up from among the Russian people themselves, who are able to train others to to teach your word. Lord, we're delighted to hear that large numbers of young people have come into the church from other backgrounds, people who don't know much about you already. And Lord, we do pray for them as the church seeks to help them to learn and help them to live as part of your kingdom, to honor you. And so we do pray for the small groups that exist to support them and to help them as they live out their new life as a member of your family. Lord, we pray for the various programs there are to theological training by extension. And we do just pray that these kinds of programs would be useful to equip the church to serve you well. Father, we thank you too for the church in Peru. And we thank you for the free church mission there. We thank you for the two schools that there are. We thank you for the Christian values and ethos that, that that these schools have, and Lord, for the Christian worker who supports the um, the school students in in Lima. We do do just pray that that would be a valuable contribution in the lives of the many children who attend. And Lord, we pray also for the two seminaries there that are training church leaders and teachers. We we pray that you would um, really make them useful, that that the teaching would really equip people to serve you in future. Lord, right here in Dundee, we thank you that you're working among us as well. And we pray particularly for Central Baptist Church. Lord, we pray for Jim Turrant and we we thank you for the centrality of your word and the Bible uh, in that church. We pray for him as he shares its meaning more fully with the the members of the church. Lord, we thank you for the emphasis they particularly have just now on discipleship and training. Pray for Stuart in that work and also for the the work they have among so many young people uh, and for their young people's minister. Lord, we thank you so much for news of um, the work that Mission International's been doing, and we thank you for that recent visit to Burundi. Lord, we're just delighted to hear of a new Bible translation there. Uh, And we realize that many, many people in the church are now full of questions as they've had their first opportunity to read your word in their own language we pray that you would increase their understanding of the Bible, that as they really come to grips with it in a new way, that, that, that you would help them. And Lord, we pray that they would then go on to share that message well with those around them. Lord, Lord, we really want to pray for some of the schools in Dundee. We pray for brave you and we just pray for encouragement for the teachers and for the children there. We pray for those teachers who are new who've just started this term. And Lord, we pray that the chaplains would have opportunities there to go in and share your word. We pray for Blackness School just next door. And we we pray for them in this time of change as they have a new head teacher there. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of the Christian unions in our universities. Lord, we do pray for Dundee CU as preparations are made for their big weekend, their weekend away. We we think of the International Secretary, Susanna, uh, and we do just pray for for Susanna and the group who work with her as they prepare to have contact again with the Islamic Society. We pray that would go well. And we pray for their preparations they're making for the international track during events week. We think of Olivia, the halls group coordinator. Lord, we do pray that first-year students who've just arrived would become integrated into the hall groups. We pray that they would become uh, enthusiastic about reaching out to those within their hall of residence. We think of the um, events coordinator at Abate CU, And Lord, it's such a small group but we do pray that the events that are organized would be really effective so that although they're small and face a lot of resistance they would still have a big reach. We think of Danny and Sophie running Christians in Sport as they meet with Christians who are involved in sport in the universities and pray with them, encourage them, support them. And we pray that you'd be with them on Friday evenings as they seek to encourage one another and that that would result in reaching other students in Dundee with the good news. We think of the Free Church in Kokodi and John Johnson, the minister there, and we pray that that church would have a great impact on the community roundabout. Lord, we think of some of the people who've been out from this church recently serving you Lord, we remember Susan Buchan. We thank you for her recent marriage. Uh, and we just pray that you would bless that. We, we, we pray for her as she works among students in Paris. And, and Lord, we thank you that she, she seeks to support the students so that they don't have to conform to the world around them but can really live transformed lives. And Lord, we thank you for the outworking of that, that non-Christian students have been willing to come along to their Bible group discussions. Lord, we don't know where they are yet, but we know for, we know that you know the exact whereabouts of Chris and Heather as they travel home from Christen, Tristan de Kuna. And we pray that you would protect them and lead them on that journey as they visit South Africa on the way home. We pray for those they met, for those they treated, and we pray for any who will continue to work in that area, for the church there. We pray for rest and recovery for Heather and Chris as they get back here. Lord, we just bring so many needs to you around the world. We think of the news and we pray for those in Tokyo and in Japan after the typhoon. We pray that the Christians there would serve their neighbors and their friends well. That you'd support and encourage them perhaps in a real sense of loss as they've lost property and sometimes lost people who were dear to them. And Lord, we would pray for any Christians who are present just now along the Turkish-Syrian border. And we pray that you would help them to support their neighbors with so many different groups of people there who, who, who need you very much just now. And Lord, finally, for our own hearts, that we'd be eager to share the good news of Jesus among our friends and families this week. We thank you for answering our prayers. Amen.
0: Before Craig comes to continue his series in Colossians, um, we're going to sing again. We're going to sing from the breaking of the dawn uh, and we'll stand and sing this just now.
2: You are made
4: And this evening, as uh, Stuart mentioned, we are back in Paul's letter to the church in the Colossae. Let's remember, Paul is writing to this church, wanting to teach them about the supremacy, about the sufficiency of Jesus. And he wants this church to grow up in maturity in Christ by digging deeper and deeper into the gospel that Epaphras taught them. And finding out more about their union they have in Christ and all that that means in every area of their life. Remember, here's the, the key verse, the key verses of the whole letter. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Last week we saw Paul's teaching on uh, union with Christ and the the impact, the difference, the changes that makes in the life of the local church. In our section this week, this evening, from verses uh, 18 and onwards, Paul takes the same doctrine of union with Christ and applies it to the home and to the workplace. If you've got a Bible, please turn to page 1184. Let me read first the, just the first four verses just now of the chapter and remind us of this teaching. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul teaches here that our union with Christ, it is complete. It is comprehensive. Remember, as we saw last week, by by faith we are brought into Christ and we have died with Christ. Our past is with Christ. We saw we, we have been, we are now raised with Christ. Our present is with Christ. And when Christ who appears in glory, we will appear with him, our future with Christ. Our whole salvation, our whole identity as Christians is based upon our union with him. His death on the cross is my death in that I died to sin that condemns me and enslaves me. And in his resurrection as Christians, we now share in his risen life and our life is hidden with Christ in God. That's Paul's logic for everything we saw after that last week and the same for this week as well. Paul says, because all that is true, therefore do this. And what we'll see in our section this evening is that a life focused on Jesus and his supremacy, a life where we set our minds on things above, is shown in how we honour others. Notice how this flows from thankfulness, from verse 17. Let me read for us our passage this evening from verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 1. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged." Slaves, obey your earthy masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let me pray and ask God for his help as we look at this passage. Our Father, as we come into your presence in and through the name of Christ, may your words be our rule this evening. May your spirit be our guide. May your glory be our chief concern. We ask these things in the name of Christ our King. Amen. As you read the passage, I'm sure for many of us the thing which stood out to us as you read it was that language of of submit, that language of obey, that language of master, language of Lord. In home, wives and children called to submit and obey. In the workplace, slaves to submit to masters. Now let's remember the context here. Paul is writing to a local church. What we're talking about here, it's it's the covenant community of the church living in obedience to Jesus. People who have received Jesus in the gospel taught by Paul and Epaphras, and are now continuing to live their lives in Jesus. And so as people part of the covenant community of God, we see here the ethic is that in the Lord, some groups submit to others. Now abuse in the family, breakdown in marriages, they're horrible. Many of you in this, this room have been there. We might read this and think, what if you're married to a non-Christian? What happens if you have parents who are abusive? And let's remember this is talking about the context of the covenant community of the church. Not of those things don't happen there. What about if you have an unloyal or abusive spouse? Or you have a master who's abusive. Again, let's show the context here primarily of the covenant community of local church, people who are walking in obedience to Jesus. I have no doubt that this passage and ones like it have, have been used for great harm, great damage in people's lives. Sometimes the wisest thing, I think, in in scriptures that we see in relationships The wise thing for us to do Is to, to leave them To get away From certain relationships But that's the extreme That's not the norm But as you start this Looking at this passage I think it's worth saying that If you are trapped in an abusive relationship You don't have to take these verses And fully obey them If that is you this evening Please get help Please speak to me after the service Or if you'd prefer to chat to a woman Please grab me and we'll make sure that happens But as a church As the covenant community of God's people This passage describes what we want to expect in our relationships In Christ we are in Christ and at home And in Christ and at work but if you're here and you aren't a Christian, what hopefully this passage will show you is that what it looks like to live as a Christian, somebody who is safe in Christ, and that our is of that. And hopefully as you see this passage as well, it'll show you that as Christians, we can't separate Christianity to the private life. That actually the gospel affects all of life. And as you see in here, hopefully that's an attractive thing to you. So first off, let's look at in Christ at home, and first off looking at Wives. There's some, some passages in the Bible you don't want to teach. One is on money, one is on wives. But notice here, verse 17 thankfulness. It flows from thankfulness. And then it's almost jarring, isn't it? Give thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands. Let's remember the wife in Christ, equal. Together with the husband in Christ. Co-heirs of the same inheritance in Christ. That is true, that is a fact. Called here to voluntarily put yourself under the headship of your husband. Now let's be clear on what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't say obey. This isn't blind Slavish living to every whim The word submit, it doesn't doesn't imply any sort of inferiority In any way In fact the New Testament, uh, you see that submission is a characteristic of every single Christian Submission towards God, towards one another, towards those in authority Submission is part of the posture of humility of the Christian so what does this submission look like then in marriage? Well, as I've said, it, it, it isn't unquestionable obeying. Now is that having to ask the husband's permission for absolutely everything you do? That's not what it says. I was listening to what one minister's wife uh, had to say, how she would describe uh, being in, uh, submitting herself to a her husband. I think what she says is quite helpful. She says, submission kicks in at a point your husband makes a wrong decision. It's honest, isn't it? If you've discussed it, and it isn't illegal or immoral, and it isn't forbidden in scripture, and even when they're wrong, accept it. I think that's quite a helpful definition here of submission. Let's see what she says here. She's very clear with her independent mind. They've discussed it all, and still she chooses to submit. I think if you're a wife here, ask yourself if I struggle with the direction my husband is taking, and we've talked about it, will I still submit knowing that it pleases the Lord? Not primarily because it pleases him. But because it pleases the Lord. We see in this verse here it's something ordained by God. And even when your husband is wrong, you can still trust that God in his design was right. If you're a wife, to live out the supremacy of Christ in the home looks like this verse: Wives, submit yourselves to your husband. As is fitting in the Lord. Now, let's see what Paul says to the husband. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. It's for instance, the wives are called to submit because of sin; that's a struggle. Husbands are commanded to love because of sin; that's a struggle. And striking is that this is a, this is a command. Paul turns to the husbands and says, "It is your job to love your wife. So, if you're a husband here, if you're in Christ, sacrifice yourself for her, giving yourself up for her in love, pour yourself out for her, putting your own concerns aside for her. Seek to build it up." In Christ This doesn't mean you do Every single thing that they ask you to do But it does mean that you seek their good And seek to help them grow in Christ So I think for, for a wife Who knows that their husband loves them like this To submit to somebody like this Knowing that all their actions Are for her best I think it's a beautiful picture and we see here the beauty of Christian marriage begins to show as the wife submits the husband, but the husband seeks to love the wife. Remember, being a, a husband loving a wife doesn't mean that they're a yes man, they just go along with what the wife says. That isn't a loving thing. And then it's as if Paul, he just hear what's coming. Husbands, love your wives, but, but Paul, you, you don't know my wife. You don't know how discouraging she can be, how supportive she isn't. And Paul says, love her, and don't be harsh with her. Don't be domineering. Don't snap at her. Be patient. Love her. For a husband, this is how you, you live out the supremacy of Christ in your marriage. So ask yourself how how can I love my wife better? And if you don't know, ask her. Then Paul moves on to children. Verse 20 children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. I love this verse Not because of my parents But because of this Let's remember that I don't think these are general instructions to everybody Paul is writing to a church Baptised children We believe are members of the church They enjoy the covenant blessings with their parents And so if you're a child Paul writes directly to you You're not ignored So what does he say? Children Young people I think that includes students as well here. Obey your parents. Modern society puts the children at the heart of everything. Not so in the Lord's family, says Paul. Paul says, parents, they can tell you what to wear. Paul says, parents, they can tell you what time bedtime is. They can tell you who who you can hang out with. Remember, these are the same parents, the same, the same husband and wife that we've just read about in the two verses earlier. These aren't parents who say, ignore Jesus. These aren't parents who are abusive to you. These are parents who are together in Christ, seeking for you to grow up loving the Lord Jesus. So why should you obey them because they say so? I used to hate that as a child. Don't know what you? When your parents would say, do this, and I'd say, why? And they'd say, because I say so. The thing that, that normally more things when um, I'd say to mum, I'm hungry, and she'd say, no, you aren't. And I'd be like, how do you know? We've got a much better motive here. Although parents can say something when we obey them, look at the end of verse 20. For this pleases the Lord. Isn't that great That in your obedience to your parents You please God Again this is Your outworking of acknowledging The supremacy of Christ If you're a child to a young person A student There will be many times When your parents ask something And there's no direct Bible passage They can't turn to Times when your parents Will have to make judgment calls And a and God is saying to defer their authority to them Follow them Be obedient to them But perhaps here this evening So far you're going through this And you go, well I'm not married I don't have children Or perhaps you're going through this And you go, actually I'm not married And I'm not really a child anymore What Paul has in mind here is Is the household There are things that if you you live at home, for want of better phrase, under your parents' protection, then this verse is applicable to you. That's why I think it's applicable to students. Because you're just here for a time, you're still under your parents. But perhaps once you move out, you set up your own home, then this verse is no longer applicable to you. However, the Bible would question why you tried to live like you set up your own household when you were 12. You may not be called to obey your parents in everything, but you are still called to honour your parents. And that's a lifelong thing. So if you're a child, young person, a student, don't treat your parents like a cash machine. Or a washing machine. When you go back to the family home, it's not, it's not a B&B where you ignore the owners. Speak to your parents. Visit your parents. For those without children, this is a great thing that you can pray for others. This isn't all Paul says regarding children, though, is there? Look at verse 21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Discouraged. How do fathers embitter? How do they discourage their children? Endless criticism. Overly harsh punishments. Being distant from them, domineering over them. Discouraged here in the sense of them being disheartened. Having a broken spirit. Creating children that in the end are just fearful, timid because of your oppression over them. So fathers, don't let your default be criticism. Let them see and know that you love them. That you're there for them. Don't crush them. But don't miss me. here. Paul isn't saying don't discipline. He's saying don't be destructive towards them. Why aren't mothers mentioned in this verse? Because I think mothers are better at doing this than fathers are. And because the Father's the head of the household, he's the one who sets the tone, who sets the culture. So what we've seen just in these four short verses, well, as people united in Christ, in our relationships at home, we demonstrate the supremacy of Jesus in our relationships to one another. And these verses show us that the covenant community is radically different because you listen to Jesus and we submit to Jesus And so we're always thinking of the other person. The wife thinking, how can I better submit to my husband? The husband thinking, how can I better love my wife? The child thinking, how can I please the Lord by obeying my parents? The father, how can I better encourage my child? The gospel says that you love others first. And this is possible because union with Christ breeds humility. Because it says, I am not treated as I deserve, and by God's grace, I am equal with all who are in Christ. And so I think of them before myself. As Paul says about life at home, let's move on to think about being in the Lord and at work. Before we dig into uh, these verses here, let's address a potential stumbling block we see in these verses. Slavery is evil. Let's just get that out in the open. And throughout history, you'll, you'll see Christians trying to stamp slavery out. But when we hear the word slavery, we, we, we probably think of the African slave trade or perhaps human trafficking today. About this, to, to Boris Johnson, Paul would say, I'm confident he'd say, free the slaves. But this is slavery in the Roman world. It's by no means a straight employer-employee relationship. But there are similarities between the two. If you're a slave, you could, you could work your way to freedom. Many had a wage, they had accommodation. Many were doing jobs that today we would call professionals. Some people chose to put themselves into slavery. And the slaves in the Colossian church were equal to their masters. And again to these slaves Paul would say If you can obtain your freedom Then do But even if you can't If you are now in Christ You are truly free Free to obey your masters Because it's the Lord who is your true master It's him that you work for Let's remember these, these slaves They got paid nothing There was no statutory breaks for them there's no opportunity to build up toil for a cheeky day off every now and again. But they would receive something far, far greater. Verse 24, an inheritance from the Lord. Now Let's take a step back and remember some of the bigger picture stuff in Colossians. Remember in Colossae they were being taught by some false teachers to expect miracles, that like they could see visions and angels. They were to follow certain rules To achieve a higher level of Christianity And yet Paul is saying something very different He's saying we are in Christ Risen now, seated with him In him in heaven The Lord is your master So live out who you are in Christ And what that looks like Is the least impressive life possible Go back and obey your master For the slave to acknowledge the supremacy of Christ It looked like in the language of John 13 Knowing who you are Knowing where you are Go and obey your master Because you work for the Lord Unless you remember, Paul can say these things to slaves Who had no rights No pay I think how much more can Paul say these things to us Who do these things for any of us here with a job or any sort of responsibilities of volunteering or serving, 322 to 41 says you don't work for your boss. You don't do these things for yourself. You don't do them for the church. You do them for the Lord. See in scripture that God is he's interested in what your work is cares much more about how you do it and who you do it for. In the eyes of the Lord, no no job is honoured above another. The surgeon is not honoured more than the shoe seller. The preacher is not honoured more than the nursery teacher. We don't believe in that sacred secular divide because Christ is Lord of all. All work is dignity in his eyes and all work is done for him. Even when no one is looking. Have a look at verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when the eye is on you and to in favour, but sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Think of natural tendency uh, of the slave. What would that be? To give the very least amount of effort to get by. In our day and time, the natural tendency of most employees is to give the very least amount of effort necessary to get by. Most of us, we wouldn't dream of stealing from work and yet may not work all the time as if our boss is watching us. If the boss is watching you, how much time would you be spending on social media? How many of those top-read articles in BBC News would you have read? For the slave to live out the supremacy of Christ, it looks like them giving the master of their work what is expected and like it, like in the home, it's other focused, isn't it? But notice here, verse twenty-two: Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. They had to do that. What about us? In our working, in our volunteering, in our helping with people, are there limits to that? Do we have to obey our bosses in everything we do? Are there limits? yeah, I'm confident that there are limits for us. But because your boss is Jesus, and it's him that we want to serve with all sincerity, if I am asked to stay late at work, go beyond the, go beyond the norm, I need to think, should I do this or not? What will honour the Lord more with all of my other responsibilities? My gut reaction shouldn't be, that's not on my contract, and refuse to do it. If I want to serve the Lord, then there are times when I'll say yes. Many times, perhaps. Even if it means not being paid by my earthly employer to do the work. Because my work is for the Lord. But when sometimes becomes all the time, I need to read Paul's advice to slaves in 1 Corinthians 7. If you can obtain your freedom, do If your boss at work is frequently bringing unhelpful demands and you can free yourself from them by taking a pay cut, then consider that. You know you work for Jesus. You know you work for Jesus whatever you do. So you won't miss a social status anymore. And Jesus is the one handling our pay slips. He sees it all and he will reward. And as you see, he will punish as well. If you're here and you're a manager You're a boss Paul says something to you as well Have a look at chapter 4 verse 1 Masters provide your slaves With what is right and fair Because you know that you also have a master In heaven Same as slaves isn't it The masters need to know that they have a master in heaven The Lord Jesus Christ Masters be, be, be Just and fair what does that mean Well no favouritism and as you do so, it will be so much easier for those who serve you to obey you. Do we pray for our bosses to be just and fair? Perhaps you're here and, you're, and you are a boss, you're a manager. Do you pray to be just and fair to all those under you? We see here for the master, for the boss, the manager to live out the supremacy of Christ, it looks like them being interested in the slave. In the other person Perhaps you're here and you aren't a manager Or over anyone or have a job But in one sense when you buy something from somebody You do become their boss You have people working for you How do you treat that person in that coffee shop When you order a coffee from them They are there serving you How do you treat that person as the Asda? I remember when we moved um, from our flat at the roads through to Charleston and um, I I felt like I was the boss of Thornton's law firm. You go and sell a property and all of a sudden you have lawyers emailing you, estate agents phoning you, people who are keen to work for you. Will I be just and fair with every single person that works for me in whatever capacity that is, even if it's just for a few moments? Or think about this, would you be happy for God to run heaven the day you arrive the same way that you run your office, the same way you write emails, the same way you take phone calls, the same way you treat people? We need to raise our sights to things above and be reminded that we have a master in heaven. So what we see in this section, while knowing that Jesus is Lord, by his grace I am in him, to live out his supremacy in the workplace and at home are all about honoring the other person. Like at home in the workplace, my approach to my relationships are all about how am I honoring that person as Christ honored me. Compare this to the new teaching in schools. Quote, Above everything else, genuinely love yourself. Self-love is powerful and it's the best love that you will ever have. Self-love sets the standard in how we allow others to treat us and how we treat ourselves. Your happiness and well-being is important. Protect it by always valuing who you are. There's a bit of truth in that. But it's inherently selfish. Selfish. Make no mistake, although this is being taught in uh, relationship lessons at school, this worldview is everywhere. Turn on TV, watch films, read the paper. This worldview is not just in our schools. You can't escape it. And it is radically different to what we see here in Colossians. As you raise our sights to Christ, and with our Jesus' eye view, we see in this passage that the breakdown of all of these relationships, all of them, is selfishness. I don't submit because I'm the boss of my life. I'm harsh with my wife because I love myself. I'm harsh to my children because they're annoying me. They embarrass me. I'm disobedient to my parents because they restrict me. I will not obey my master because he's an idiot. I will not provide for my slaves because they are here for me. That is the life where I reign, not where Jesus reigns. And that's the old way of life. Sin no longer reigns over us, but we do feel its presence. So we read a passage like this in Colossians, and, and what do we do? Grit our teeth and try harder? Or well, no? We read passages like this in Colossians, and we repent. And we do, as Paul says at the start of the chapter, to raise our minds to things above, to Christ who is seated and where we are now seated. We set our minds on the most powerful man on the planet who willingly submitted to his heavenly father and chose to die for you. Because Jesus, the one we raise our sights to, is Lord of our life, and we are being renewed in the knowledge of him it means that we're able to live lives focused on others and not on the self. We can submit as Jesus submitted in his earthly life. It means that we can obey as Jesus obeyed. It means that we can have radical love as Jesus loves. The life set on Christ is life focused on other people. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you reign on the throne. We thank you for the gospel, simple enough for the youngest child to believe, but deep enough for the greatest minds to never plummet steps. We thank you for pastors like this which often jar against us. So we confess that we are sinful people, people who have not done as you have called us to do. help us we ask to raise our sights to you to live out a life in the rhythm of thankfulness of what you've done and who we are in you and to live a life loving you and loving other people forgive us for our selfishness we ask for you are not selfish help us to be more like you That's for your glory we ask and our joy in you, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song together, a song which reminds us of the goodness of the gospel, of all that the Lord Jesus has done for us in his life, death and resurrection. Let's stand and sing in Christ alone. and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, fill you with all knowledge, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Amen.